So, so you know how I'm always talking about like the 70 names of Hashem, 70 names of Israel, 70 names of uh, Jerusalem. Yep. Or how I always get brought up. So I finally found it in the Baha Torah again. I'm like, this is where I found it at. But this was part par shop Beha Aloteca. Oh, you went all the way back. Yeah, I didn't mean to, but I ended up ended up there from Pirush Harukeach. But this is what I thought was cool because I was reading this, and he talks about he talk, they, Baha Torm lists the seventy names of God, like the different names, which each one in itself is kind of a whole different study. But uh, what I thought was cool. The, the 70 names of one of the 70 names here it is one of the 70 names of Jerusalem is Ir David and this comes from the Midrash Zutta whatever, okay whatever that is so it says why is it called by the name of a mortal being <laughs> it opened up with that question I'm like oh this is about to get heavy yeah. It says, because it is known before the Holy One blesses he that it was built by a mortal and would become destroyed by a mortal. But in time to come, it shall be called by the name of the Holy One blessed is he, as it is written. They will call you, Yer, city of Hashem, Zion, Holy One of Israel. So Jerusalem is going to be called HaKadosh Baruch Hu. <laughs> Get you some. But like, but to say that Hashem is gonna build the third temple, you know, like, yes, exactly. so there's there's the source. And what was that Baha Torum? What Baha Torum, Beha Aloteca footnote. It's a long footnote, really, but it is footnote two sixty eight on. Let's see which two sixty eight. 268 continued on the next page, 1491. Page 1491. Hold on. Got it. Okay. What you got on your phone? Not yet. He'll beat her. That's what I have to show. Anyways, so that. <laughs> Anyways, so I went on a, on a just on a, a swerve. little thing. Yeah, I went on a swerve like right there, and then I was like, okay, I gotta get to to. to uh, but this was cool. So the Torah juxtaposes the words. Uh, this is the decree of the Torah. This is Zot Pukat HaTorah. And then the juxtaposed to the verse that says the last verse of the of the of the last parsha, and you shall not die. Zot Pukat Torah, meaning that like. That's that's the hookah of the Torah, like that you shall not that, die. Yeah, that you shall not die. So. That, so what is it? Uh, Mashiach says about the life and the resurrection. Uh, choking on eleven. Hang on, because that ties directly with this. Yeah, it says the previous power shot ends with the words "You shall not desecrate." You shall not desecrate. You shall not die. The Torah juxtaposes hookah, the decree of the Torah. With you shall not desecrate, for when a Torah scholar sins, it is a desecration of God's name. Yochanan eleven twenty six says, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yeah. But you only believe what you do. 
right. It's called Emuna. So Yochanan eleven twenty six cross references with that. Get you some. And what page is this one on? This is on um, fifteen eighty three. Uh, to the second verse of the of nineteen, mm -hmm. chapter nineteen. You have any PDF file for us? Yeah. I'm about to. Yeah. Nineteen two. Yes, sir. Yeah, there. Uh, there's an app called V Flat, and all you do is just put your phone over the picture, and it just flattens the page and turns into a PDF instantly. And you create a whole bookshelf of all your sources. <laughs> oh, that's what it said too. It says, so to add to that, to tag to that, it says, Torah further juxtaposed, Fukata Torah velo tamutu, and you shall not die. In accordance with that which is written, it is a tree of life to those who hold fast to it. So that's what Rabbi was talking about today. Right. So and I just, I don't know, I love that. Yeah, there was something I read about the souls of those who are attached to the tree of life. Um, basically, were nourished. That was probably Zohar... What was that? Was that Korak or was it Bukant? Let me see if it was Bukant. Basically, it was saying our, our souls were like when we were attached to the Torah that we are uh, like our eternal life is, is basically from the as a branch of the tree of life kind of thing. It was Korak. It puts it better, so I'm going to see if I can find it. Well, because I know that's going. that's uh, that's what Mikael was talking about. It's a neshama, right? It's a neshama of Hashem, which is really our neshama. Like when you actually get down to you know past the flesh and all that kind of stuff. Not to say that Hashem doesn't want it outpouring all the way to that that realm, but but that's but you need to start there first, like inside out, kind of thing. Right. Man, I remember. Is it of the spirits? That's out of the time. Because yeah, I remember reading it and I was just like, wow, that's ridiculous. interesting because they start going into like mikvah waters in this thing the hukat uh-huh so they start going okay let's try
Man, Zohar's lock has so many <laughs> drops. It goes on to talk about the waters of the Jordan, and they talk about like it's got the water. It's, it's water to purify, like a mikvah. Uh, Forty-six. Uh, this is in accordance with the Amorah Shemuel, who forbids immersion in rivers, lest the quantity of rainwater be greater than that of the spring water that is the river source. In such an instance, the river cannot affect purification while its waters are flowing. So, whether or not, like, if it's still or running water kind of thing. But then this was cool. So, then it gets into the, it quotes the Mishnah and then the footnote kind of, this, it sets up a precedent I think is pretty relevant um, for people who want to go, like, buy the book kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. it says, it says, this is found in the Mishnah Nikvot. It says, the men of Medeba testified that the Tana, Rabbi Yishmael, told them, go and bring snow and make a new mikvah. It says, so it's mikvot 7-1. The Mishnah does not cite Rabbi Yishmael as merely saying, and make a mikvah. Rather, it states literally, and make a mikvah from the beginning, i.e., he permitted making the entire mikvah out of snow. This is because earlier the Mishnah had cited Rabbi Akiva's report of the debate he had with Rabbi Ishmael. In the course of the debate, Rabbi Ishmael had said, snow cannot complete a mikvah. According to the testimony of the, of the men of Medeba, despite Rabbi Ishmael's academic argumentation with Rabbi Akiva, in actual practice, he allowed snow to be used not only to complete a mikvah, he even allowed it to be used as the sole source of water for the baby. So, like, the whole precedence of, like, it's like, oh, you can't really use snow, but in practice, we do. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole work thing about uh, <laughs> conversion starts with circumcision. Yeah. Well, but yeah. In, in practice. But really. It's mikvah. Yeah. <laughs> That's legit. Which actually could be applied to the whole driving for Shabbat. Yeah, not really supposed to drive, but in practice. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I thought I mean, it was pretty Because cool. it's not really aside whether or not you should or shouldn't, but yeah. Aside from the fact that you can use snow to make a maple, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> which is funny because the snow is what's on the base of Hashem's throne. Exactly. I, th I thought about that too. Like that makes sense. Because he took snow from the bottom of his throne to make a new creation. Because that's where the earth came from. When the earth was spread out over the waters, that was from the snow of his throne. So if you think about that, we're taken from the dust of the earth. So it would be literally so, like being a new creation. And then found this says Miriam's death took place on the 10th of Nisan. So that's where G. Shekel got it from then, because he was talking about uh, Parshat Vayeshev when Yosef was uh, sold. That was also, he said, I think he said that was the night of the 10th of Nisan as well, or uh, the 10th of Tishrei. Because when, when was it when we when we picked our lamb? Was it the 10th of Nisan or was it the Nisan? Yeah, it was the 10th. It was the 10th, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's why I was like, whoa, like, <sighs> 
Interesting. Yeah, I think this is probably it. It's a Zohar Korok 1. It says, How supreme are the matters of Torah and how precious they are. They are desired above and they are desired by all because they constitute the holy name. Whoever toils in the Torah strives for the holy name and is saved from all evil. He is saved in this world and rescued in the world to come. Come and behold, whoever deals in the Torah is attached to the tree of life. And since he is attached to the tree of life, he is a part of everything. As it is written, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Mishle 318. Yes. Something back here. Oh, this. Oh, yeah, that's what it says. Talking about the Metzora. Okay. So. How are they talking about Metzora during Kuka? Yeah, I know. I, I don't know how. Yeah, and I ended up in Tanakuma Metzora. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, because it, it talks about. It's talking about the word Vasaf. He shall gather. Okay. It says the Masoretic note means that this word appears three times in the Tanakh. A pure man shall gather, and the Metzora shall gather. Second Kings five eleven, and then it says, and he will gather the castaways of Israel eleven twelve. So it says the similarity of the expression here and in Kings alludes to the Talmudic statement, and Metzora is likened to a corpse. Then it says, four people are considered as dead, a poor person, a Metzora, a blind person, and, a, and one who is childless. That's Nidorim 64b. And then it says, moreover, just as the ashes of the rad, red cow impart purity, so too the prayers of a righteous impart purity. It says, and similarly, the, of the expression in the three verses also alludes to the time of Mashiach. And he will gather the castaways of Israel in the future, at which time the Mitzorah shall gather, i.e., will be cured. And as it is written, the lame man will skip like a gazelle, Isaiah 35, 6. And at that time, they will no longer need the ashes of the red, of the red heifer. As it is written, Be'al Hamavit Lanetak, he will have swallowed up death forever. Wonder where Shaul got his drop yeah, from. Yeah, I know. I was like, man, that sounds so good. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Yeah, dude. I was like, this is ridiculous. Okay, Zohar Kukat 1 says, And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, or Moshe and Aharon, saying, This is the ordinance of the Torah, which Hashem has commanded Bar Mibar 19, 1 through 2. Rabbi Yossi opened the discussion saying, and this is the Torah which Moshe said before B'nai Israel, Devarim 4, verse 44. Come and behold, the words of Torah are holy, lofty, and sweet, 
As it is written, more to be desired than are they than gold and much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. Mm. To Helene 19.11. It is as if whoever studies the Torah stands every day at Har Sinai and receives the Torah. This is what it says. This day you are become a people. Devarim 27.9. That's why sometimes we stand when we study the Torah. It's like we're standing at Mount Sinai. Yeah. But it, it's cool because just this whole concept of like the ashes of the red heifer like serve only one purpose. It says to clean, to cleanse the impurity brought about through, con- through contact with the corpse. But in the days of the Mashiach, God will swallow up, i.e. destroy the concept of death and it's an, it's accompanying impurity, meaning that like really when Mashiach comes, like when you need a red heifer, when you don't need a red heifer, like right. It's kind of a like a like this. Yeah. Like maybe you do, maybe you don't, <laughs> because Mashiach's gonna come and like affect purity. Well, you know, it's both because, I mean, that's how it is now. Because that's Korok, That was Korok's argument. Like. If we got an all blue garment, do we really need to wear ZZ? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Because as we learned from um, Rabbi Raskin, Rabbi Ridiculous, Shlita, he said that uh, well, the you, whole... Did you bring him today? I did. Oh, okay. oh, I guess I can read it instead of... <laughs> so you didn't just, bring him today? Just reiterate. Because <laughs> the, uh, the mnemonic of Parshar Korak is Daniel. Daniel. Because he said that uh, of all the 24 books of the Tanakh, Daniel was the only one who was heavy in Mashiach prophecies. So from there he goes right into saying that uh, Daniel's passionate desire and yearning to usher in Mashiach was more intense than that of his peers. The mnemonic Daniel sheds light on the role of Korach being from the tribe of Levi. Korach was familiar with the law that the Leviim will become Kohanim when Mashiach comes. Lakute Torah of the Arizal on Yehezekiel forty-four fifteen. Yeah, because that's that was that was that was one of the names of Israel. It's Kohanim. Wow. Yeah. Like the the names the names of like the seventy names are like Hashem. Israel and Jerusalem are like just like ridiculous. So Korak knew about the Olam Haba. <laughs> and Daniel was more <laughs> more intense than any of his peers in his passion and desire and yearning to usher in Mashiach. So the demonic of Parashat Korach is Daniel. Yeah, check this out too. That's one of the name, one of the names of of Israel is Yechidim, Yechidim. Mashiachs. Yeah. Wow. Only begotten signs. Does it have a footnote on it? Nah, this is actually this is Yosef is one of the names. Kala. Well, does it give? Would it give a reference to why they call 
each oh, name? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah it's got footnotes on all of them. So what's uh, the Yaki so, Deem one? Yaki Deem is 229. For they stand alone in this world, the Midrash Zuta, go figure. Alternatively, alternatively, Yachidim means gather together as one. One body of many members. All this, a lot of this comes from the Midrash Zuta. So. Midrash Zuta, okay. Uh, Zadikim, Kadoshim, or Kadoshim. Where is the Kohanim one? No, one of them is Kohanim. Ephraim is one of the names. Mm. Achim, Im, or yeah, Im. Bonim, Benay El Kai, Behor, Bati. Oh, I think this is it. It's a uh, Zohar Korah 7, 28. It says, he said to him, come and behold the verse. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. Which is coming from Kohelet 9, 9. There it is, Kohanim. And then it's, oh, wow. The Ezekiel 44. It says that, uh... It, this is the secret that a person must include life from the tree of life, which is Zara and Peen, in this place, which is Malkut, referred to as woman. One who one does not go. That's, that's the Shekinah, by the way. Malkut. Yes. The woman. Love it. One does not go without the other. Zara and Peen without Malkut. A person must include the measure of the day at night. That is a measure of Zer Unpin referred to as day and Malkut referred to as night and vice versa. So they can both be called day or night. So I will not allow this or do not allow the law to depart from your mouth day or night. Day and night. Oh, oh. No. Study Torah all oh, night. night. <laughs> <laughs> it says uh, that is the meaning of live joyfully with the wife. Uh whom you love all the days of your life what is the reason for that is your portion in life since life what is life the secret of illumination of Kothma. it does not prevail except on this malkut since the illumination of Kothma does not become revealed in any other place than her so and in your labor which you do labor under the sun as you say in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths so yeah the the tree of life is where our souls are nourished from and that's that's our eternal life Eternal life comes from the tree of life. Which, by the way, like, that's one of the things I was putting together because I don't know if you saw that, what I put in the, uh, 
Oh, you are talking about Fourth of July, but I saw the Sheen and the Shaddai. Yeah, yeah, because it's talking about like that. I was kind of following it a little bit. I had to read it a couple of times, but there's some. I guess there's some way to do Gamacho to interchange those letters, and it, it basically. The same well, it, it was die. basically, uh, I like, forget what they so. call it, when uh, the kolel, when you spell out the letters. So even though you have the actual letter itself, the kolel is actually hidden in that letter. Right. So he took all the hidden letters. Within the sheen. Yeah. And then. That, that, I, that I understood. I was like, okay. Okay. So, so what was the other part? No, it just, it just should die because, because later on, it, the, the midrash I was telling you about earlier, whether like if you if you hate peace, you're a saw, and mm-hmm. if you love peace, right? Well, obviously, well, if you hate peace, you're a saw. Like, yeah, that was, that was the big thing. But um, like sar shalom, like is literally like right. Shaddai shalom. If they were they were saying like quoting the, the psalm that says where Hashem says, "I am shalom." Right. Like, so take about take Shaddai or Sar Shalom Shaddai Shalom so it's like yeah. how much you know I mean obviously that, that Isaiah Messianic passage is it can't mean anything else other than Hashem talking about himself right you know right which made me think about the Bar Aleph because because thinking about whatever it says Isaac the son of Abraham like don't read the son of Abraham, like the son who is Abraham. Right. So I was applying, like applying that same thing. The son who Bar-Aleph. is Aleph. Yeah, yeah, the son who is Aleph. So, and however that works, and right, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Oh, because the other thing I was going to say to that, this is why. Okay, so since Asaph hates peace, that's why in I believe it's Micah. Or Malachi, but it talks about uh, Hashem says, "Asav, I've hated." Oh yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, that's Obadiah, I think. Okay. Obadiah. So with that being said, if Hashem hates Asav, and He does, that's only because Asav hates Him. Because Asav hates Shaddai. So if if Asav would hate Shaddai, then it's meter connected meter. Oh, it's yeah, it's Malachi. Malachi one three. But Asav I have hated, and I have made his mountains desolate and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. So Shaul echoes this in Romans nine. And verse thirteen. Put it in context. It is not as though God's word has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And I love that because the enemies of Israel drop. Right, yeah. And the the Edom drop that says in the time to come Edom will be destroyed. But it's like, well, what about where, the yeah, where's that from? I know you were sharing that. Avoda Zara. Okay. So I'll, I need to I need to get that reference though. But it says those who act like Edom will actually be the ones who are destroyed. So, same thing with Israel. There's people who are a part of Israel, but they don't act like Israel. So, Shaul already knew that when he was sharing this. 
And then he says, nor because they are Abraham's descendants, are they all his children? Which that goes back to why Yochanan HaTavl would say, uh, you know, Hashem can raise sons of Abraham from these stones. And then it goes on to say, on the contrary, through Yitzhak, your offspring will be reckoned. So don't even look at technically, even though you're called sons of Abraham, but remember Yitzhak is the son who is Abraham. So Hashem, it says through Yitzhak, your children will be reckoned. So now we have to look at the children of Yitzhak. So now we're between either Esau or Yaakov. So going on from there, so he says, so it's not the children of the flesh who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as offspring. Which connects back to Galatians. Well, and that's also why, like, you can't. That's that's the problem. Like, one of the issues I would say, and I'm, I don't, not to speak ill, but mm-hmm. just speaking in reality, like, of our brothers and sisters. The majority today, of, of opinion out there. Right. The majority opinion is that that, oh, if you're Esau or if you're Ishmael, like. You have no no part in, in the family, but really, like their dads are Abraham and Isaac. You know, like so. Yeah. Why do, Why do we have to paint them all like they're not our brothers? You know. True. Which is a big problem because it's like they're gonna convert. Yeah. So then it says, "For this is what the promise stated." At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. So now he's quoting Parashavayera. Not only that, but Rivka's children were conceived by one man, our father Yitzhak. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's plan of election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Right. Love how he's just now quoting told dope. <laughs> Who is this? G Shagel? This is this is uh Shaul Hashliak. Oh. Romans okay. nine. Okay. So then it says, So it is <laughs> I written. Don't know why I thought you was called G Shagel, but it guy I guess could sound like it. Yeah, they do sound a lot alike. Yaakov yeah. <laughs> I've loved, but Asab I've hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Certainly not. For he says to Moshe, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh. Oh, so now the word talks. The the scripture is going to speak to Pharaoh, even though it was Moshe speaking to Pharaoh. Anyway, that, that just happened. I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power uh, I think in I read you. Something like that today, and went blue screen. Go, I'm sorry. Go, I'm sorry. Go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, it's a display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens whom He wants to harden. Cool thing about that is, uh, this is the whole drop that Paro became the king of Nineveh and learned Teshuva so that literally when he came around to make Teshuva, he ended up saving a whole nation 
And then it goes to say that one of you will say to me, then why does God still find fault for who can resist his will? And it says, but who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special occasions and another for common use? What if God intending to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the vessels of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the vessels of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, including us whom he has called not only from the Jews, but also from the nations. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my beloved who is not my beloved. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Keeps dropping all sorts of other stuff. But what I love about this is, this is the whole thing of like, this this uh, carte blanche statement, you know, like all Edom will be destroyed. It's like, yeah, so where's the mercy in that? Well, the mercy in that is the people who don't like act like Edom are not gonna be destroyed. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Fruit of the spirit. But he had the opportunity. That's why some of the Egyptians left. Boom, right? Because Egypt was destroyed technically, but Egyptians survived. Pharaoh was supposed to die because he was a firstborn, but he survived. Ended up making teshuva because of the witness of Hashem while he was in the Yamsuf, because he spent 40 days in the Yamsuf, or 50 actually, according to Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer. And then he became the king of Nineveh and ended up making teshuva for a whole kingdom. So it's totally a rabbinic thing to be like, well, yeah, this is what it says. And it's like, but you got to unpack it. Let's see if I can find the Edom drug. What's the thing? While well, you're looking for that, I'm going to share this Tankumi Mentor drop that was somehow placed in Tarshavuka. So it says, when the Holy One blesses, he said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed beyond every animal. Genesis 3.14. With what did he curse him? With Zarat. The scales of the serpent are a form of Zarat. Moreover, all those who are blemished will be healed in the Olam but the serpent will not be healed. As it is stated, you are cursed beyond every animal from, which by the way, like, Hashem saying, you're a cursed Le'ela. <laughs> wow. Ouch. Okay. From which we learn that everyone will be healed except the serpent. Regarding people, it is written, the lame will skip like a gazelle and then the, and the eyes of the blind will be opened. Similarly, regarding beast and domestic animal, it is written, wolf and lamb will graze as one. And a lion like cattle will eat straw, but the serpent's food will be dirty. Isaiah 66 or 65, 20. But there was this whole thing in here about Moshe 
like a shim speaking through Moshe, and I had to find it because I don't remember where I read that one. I don't even remember if I highlighted that. <laughs> but I should have. Uh, there was this whole thing about them standing on the rock when Moshe hit the rock. Or when they gathered, they were standing on the rock. stuff becomes like Ant-Man and stuff. Yeah, the shrinking down. Yeah. Well, the Midrash says brought down that they all stood in front of the rock because only the Zadokim were supposed to be invited, but the heir of Rav and all sorts of other people wanted to show up too. So everybody ended up you know, coming what in. Doing? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Moshe was hoping that they were just going to have a Torah study because in the merit of communal Torah study, nature would be overridden. So even if the rock had no ability to produce water, just from them Torah studying, it would have scouted forth water. Okay. So he would have never had to strike the rock, basically, if everybody would have just studied Torah. Maybe that's why he was saying speak to the rock. Because you do that when you, yeah. Wow. Studying Torah, speaking to the right. Oh, goodness. Okay. This was pretty cool. So it says, this is Baha Torah to, uh, what is this? Verse, or chapter 20, verse 5. And why have you brought us from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is It, it is not a place of seed and fig and grape and pomegranate. Mm -hmm. All right, so then this is Baha Torah's commenting on and fig and grape and pomegranate. Here the Torah mentioned fig before grape. Further on, it mentioned grape first, as it is written, a land of wheat and barley and grape and fig and pomegranate. Deuteronomy 8 8. Indeed, in most instances, it is always mentioned grape first, as it is written, each man under his grapevine and under his fig tree. 1 Kings 5 5 and, 5, 5 and Micah 4 4. But here it mentions fig tree because the Torah just concluded the passage of the red cow. It is therefore an allusion to the sages' teaching that they would select fig wood from there. Now the footnote says, here it mentions fig first. This is an allusion to that which the sages said regarding the red cow. That it is burned on a pyre of fig wood. Therefore, the verse mentioned fig first because the passage of the red cow has just finished. The version, the version of the comment is based on the Mishnah that describes the pyre on which the red cow was burned. They would set up wood there, any various species of cedar or smooth fig wood, and arrange it in the form of a tower. And may have been that and that para three eight, and that may have been the Mishnah adduced by Bahatun. I think it's interesting because the Pesach lamb was also hung on a fig tree. So now you have the Pesach lamb fit with the figs and then and the, red the red heifer with the figs. But uh, I didn't really get any more than that, but I just thought it was interesting. 
That explains why Mashiach represented the tree. Like him being crucified on a tree. Mm -hmm. So whether it was cedar wood or or fig wood. Yeah. I mean, that's why he cursed the fig tree. It's like, you ain't got no fruit. That means I got to go to the state. And matters of Torah are compared to figs. Every ravine 54. So, so he became the, the fruit of the fig? Yeah. So them covering up with fig leaves was like basically a rejection of the fruit. Hmm. Because if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we know is somewhere near the tree of life, at least in theory, and we know that if you study the Torah with improper motives, it becomes an elixir of death. So, the fig tree and the whole thing you said, what was their accusation against the land? Uh, like, you brought us out here. Where? Why, why have you brought us up to this place from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of seed, a fig, and grape, and pomegranate. And there is no water to drink. And then that's when they go to the rock. From there, we go to the rock. Because they brought back grapes and pomegranate. But they didn't bring back a fig, did they? I don't think they brought a fig back. I don't remember a fig. So it's interesting that when Mashiach curses the fig tree, it doesn't have any fruit on it. Fig trees are always supposed to have fruit on it. So there's a way for you to cover up with the leaves of the fig, but reject the fruit of the fig, basically. Which just kind of makes me think about how people walk around with the Bible and disregard the Torah. It's really the same picture of covering up with fig leaves. Hiding. Synonym for Selah. Really? Baal Torah wrote that down? This is Bami Bar Rabah 199. Well, yeah, footnote. Wow. The Milui of Ha Selah, i.e., when it's fully spelled out, which has the Gematria of 339, is equivalent by the principle of Nim Ha Kogel to 340, the Gematria of Zurim. Surim. Okay, it's a Voda Zero 10B. 
Those who act like Asa. Here it is. Which one you got? I got, I found that part about what you were talking about earlier. Which one? About the voice, about the word speaking the Pharaoh, right? So check this out. Hold on, hold on. And you're on what page? 1599, footnote 66. To therefore, therefore, the word lakin, the gematria of this word is, is 100, which is equal to that of mida ben mida, measure for measure. What? Lakin, therefore. Mida? Mida ve mida. Wow. Measure for measure. Okay. Between an action <laughs> and its consequence. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. That's legit. Okay. Direct casual. Lacan indicates a direct casual relation between an action. And its consequence. Baha Torm, however, does not spell out that relationship. Perhaps God's plan called for Moses to sanctify God's holy name in two ways. First, Moshe was to sanctify God's name by causing water to flow from a rock at God's verbal command delivered through the mouth of Moshe and that act and that act of sanctification would in turn provide Moshe with the merit that would permit him to sanctify God's name again by bringing the children of Israel into the Holy Land so the verbal command delivered through the mouth of Moshe was an act of would have been an act of sanctification and that would have provided him merit to permit him to sanctify God's name again by bringing the children of Israel into the Holy Land. Then it says, however, Moses, Moshe nullified the first opportunity by striking the rock instead of speaking to it, and two consequences followed measure for measure. Moshe lost the opportunity to sanctify God's name a second time by leading the nation into the land of Israel, and God himself would sanctify his own name in this particular place by denying Moshe the right to enter the Holy Land. Hashem sanctified his name by himself. By, yeah, by denying Moshe the right to enter into the Holy Land. Which means subjecting the Redeemer to death. So it says, yes. So when Mashiach died, yes, it was a sanctification of Hashem's name. Yes, I was just getting ready to get there. Because really, wow. this, is, this, is, this is why Mashiach can't be a man. Because because Moshe had his opportunity right here right. to do it, to be the guy. And obviously he struck the rock. But um, not to take anything away from Moshe, but because um, it says God himself would sanctify his own name. I mean, it's, it's the same picture as the Akida. That's why Yitak wasn't ultimately allowed to be the, the Corbin. But it's accredited to him. Yeah, it says, Thus both, both Moshe's faith and God, God's execution of that faith 
are example of divine of the divine attribute measure for measure. So, Avodazura Tim B, descendant of Asaph, whose name is Antoninus. Antoninus asked Rebbe, Will I enter the Olam Haba? That's uh, Rebbe is code for Buddha Hanasi or I think so. Or for Rab Rabbi Meir. Mm. Rebbe answered him, Yes. Righteous Gentiles will enter the Olam Haba from Tosef to Sanhedrin, chapter 13, Rambam Hilkot Teshuva 3 5. This is evident from the Mishnah in Sanhedrin 90a, which states, Belam will not receive a share in the Olam Haba. Belam was the Gentile soothsayer who was willing to destroy the Jews by cursing them and who convinced to corrupt their morals by singling out Belam, the Mishnah demonstrates that other Gentiles will receive divine reward in the next world. Ah. Gemara uh, in the same place, 105a, Telim 918. The wicked will return to the grave, all the peoples who forget God. This verse which speaks of all mankind indicates that only those people who abandon the ways of God are condemned to the grave, but others will enjoy life of the Olam Haba. Which are the people that die, deny resurrection, all that kind of stuff. Like, Sadducees. Yeah. Hmm. The Midrash states that God does not discriminate against or between Jew and non-Jew in the matter of giving reward. So Shaul, that's his source of Vodazera Tembi. <laughs> it says, The Holy One blessed be he said to Moshe, There is absolutely no favoritism before me, whether one's a Jew or a Gentile, a man or a woman, a maidservant, or there is no Greek nor slave, male nor female. Shaul totally quoted that. Okay. He so he read Yaakut Shimoni. It says this is from Yaku Shimoni Pasha Leklika. Or he told Yaku Shimoni. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Hashem, for allowing us to see this. Okay. One who does a good deed is rewarded. Also, you can That's see. That's what Mikael was talking about. Oh, in the Alama Bajraj? Well, no. When he was this morning. About the mitzvah, about the mitzvah, the power of the Oh, the mitzvah. power of the mitzvah draw. Talking about, oh, talking about, oh. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yep. One who does a good deed is rewarded. Tana Deve Eliyahu Rabbah, chapter 9. And then it says, The Sifra of Akari Mot, 13, 12. And Teferit Yisrael, Pirkei Avot, 3, 14, writes that even if this point had not been made by the sages, we would have received, we would have reached the same conclusion ourselves because it is self-evident in light of the fact that God is righteous in all his ways telling 145 17 there can be no doubt that he rewards yep he rewards every good deed no matter who does it the reward could be could well be too great to be enjoyed in this world and must be reserved 
for the highest levels in the Olam Haba. Yes. The power of a mitzvah. Yes, 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 yes. And it says, see in the same place uh, for examples of Gentiles whom Teferit Yisrael considers to be especially worthy in view of their contributions to the welfare of mankind. This is ridiculous. So that was the footnote. But it goes on to say, Antoninus <laughs> asked, uh, but is it written and there will be no remnant in the house of Asaph? Obadiah 118. This verse describes the punishment of the Edomites, which are descendants of Asaph, for their persecution of Israel. So I love how Antoninus was totally reading the Tanakh and being like, okay, so this is completely valid. Anyway. So he's. Yeah, he's quoting so he's, scripture. So he's like back day Christian before Christians were Christians. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like, like I know scripture. I, I know scripture. scripture. I can quote it. Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> so he says, there will be no room to the house of Asaph, which implies that descendants of Asaph, which are Edomites or Romans, will not enter the Olam Haba. There goes the church. But what does it say? Rebbe responded, the verse speaks only of one who acts in the manner of Asaph. The verse does not state Edomites. Instead, it specifies the house of Esau to teach that Edomites are barred from the Olam Haba only if they act like Esau, which is a barbarian who scorned God, i.e. the Torah, committed murder under or committed murder and violated women. But those who do not behave in this evil manner may enter the Olam Haba. It is evident from here that any Gentile, even if he is not a Gertoshav, who formally accepts the Noahide laws, has a portion in the Olam Haba, provided he does not emulate the barbaric Asav, Teferid Israel, and Seder Yaakov. My tag was going to be the house. House of Edom has to refer to this, this, the same concept of the house of Jacob, right? Because the house is the, the women actually are the ones that perpetuate the ideology of, of the or the, the character the character of the, of the children so the same thing applies for any woman house of anywhere else so really what he's talking about is if if they act in that manner the house of, of Edom which is basically that that line of character so which would be from not just I mean obviously and also that explains the whole Karak versus own because Karak's wife was the one who was like you need to rebel against Moshe and apparently the Or HaChaim brings down that Korak was a descendant of Asaph. wait what? yeah cause if you read in Bereshit the lineage of Asab, all those chieftains, yeah. there's a Korok in there. 
and he can he totally connects Korok to that Korok oh. from Aesop's lineage. And that's why Korok wasn't allowed to be connected to Yako. Oh. <laughs> but only to Levi. So there was this whole Mumsier relationship apparently that happened. So you're you're already only here on a technicality anyway, don't push your luck. Right. Wow. Yeah. Totally like but the then, serpent. But then, but then even, even though too, like he wanted to be a con, but the cons don't have anything. Like what? Yeah. Why yes. was he? Why was he wanting that? You know? Yeah. Like, if his whole thing was like, I want materiality, and he's like, right. but really, but like, you're you, a know, you got divorced from materiality. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's why I spoke that out in the alley, because I thought that was really interesting. I was like, dude, you don't even get land. What are you talking about? It's also a contradiction. Like, if yeah. you want to be close to the ark, if you're carrying it, how closer can you get? Yeah, and so he would have more opportunities to carry it as a regular Levite as, than opposed to the Kohen Hamadol. Yeah. Or he would just use it as an excuse. He had to be. Because he obviously was not using it for good intentions. We know that. Yeah. Man, so... I don't know. I just been... He wanted status. Well, because he said that... Um, uh, Rabbi Ridiculous said that uh, Korak wanted Korak knew that in the time to come Levites would be Kohanim yeah but I love this too though that was, this, is what I was, this is what I was sharing with you earlier this morning but I'll read I remember reading this first and I'll read what I shared this morning because this was interesting because so I've been kind of stuck on the whole like Moshe's exchange to eat him. Mm-hmm. So it says, Moses sent emissaries from Kadesh to the king of Edom. So said your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. Our forefathers descended to Egypt, and we dwelled in Egypt many years. And the Egyptians did evil to us and to our forefathers. We cried out to Hashem, and he heard our voice. He sent an angel, and he took us away from Egypt. Now behold, this is Moshe talking, by the way. Now behold, we are in Kadesh, a city at the edge of your border. Let us pass through your land. We shall not pass through field or vineyard. We shall not drink well water. On the king's road shall we travel. We shall not veer right or left until we pass through your border. Tag. Edom said, you shall not pass through me unless I come out against you with the sword. Okay, what's your tag? Legends of the Jews, 3548. Okay. It says, Moshe's ambassadors have been commissioned to bear the following message to the king of Edom. From the time of our grandfather, Abraham, there was a promissory note to be redeemed, for God had imposed it upon him. Oh, bad dreams. Shabbat shalom. May shalom be restored to you. Mm-hmm. There's a promissory note that needed to be redeemed for God had imposed it upon him that in Egypt his seed should be enslaved and tortured. Covenant between the parts. Mm-hmm. It says, it had been your duty as well as ours to redeem this note and you know that we have done our duty whereas you were not willing. 
It's probably why King was like, you come at me like this? <laughs> so it says that um, you were unwilling. Okay. God had, as you know, promised Abraham that those who have been in bondage to Mizraim should receive Canaan for their reward as for their possession as a reward. That land, therefore, is ours who were in Egypt and you shirked the redemption of the debt. Have you now uh, claim to our land? Let us then pass through your land until we reach ours. Know also that the patriarchs in their grave sympathize with our sufferings in Mizraim. Whenever we called out to God, he heard us and he sent us one of his ministering angels to lead us out of Mizraim. Consider then that all your weapons will avail you not if we implore God's aid. <laughs> Who will then at once overthrow you and your host, for this is our inheritance. The voice of Yaakov never proves ineffectual. That you may not, however, plead that our passage through your land will bring you only annoyances and no gain. We promise that although we draw drink out of the well that accompanies us, on our travels and are provided with food through manna we shall nevertheless buy water and food from your people that you may profit by our passage so Edom they said you depend upon your inheritance which is the voice of Yaakov which God answers and I too shall depend upon my inheritance which is the, the hand and the sword of Asav Israel now had to give up their attempt to reach their land through Edom's territory. They both went back to their inheritance. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I, I got the mountain. I got the sword. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. But yeah, this, this footnote was cool because it says... This is a Mishnahic teaching. It says, the Holy One blesses he, because it talks about this word. It talks about this word. It says, the, the Yotz, Yotzenu. Mm -hmm. And he took us out. But it's spelled effectively without, without a Yud. And it says, this alludes to the fact that he took us out from there by means of ten plagues. Can you plug? Oh, can you plug this in? Told the arm, I think you should be able to go around through here. Hopefully, it reaches. Told the arm, Appreciate that. So. Missing a missing a uh, a yud, which alludes the fact to the ten plagues, and then so then they explain from there where's there mean he changed the sea in the dry land there we rejoice with him sham sham right and it says and this refers to the Mishnah teaching the holy one blesses he brought ten plagues upon the Egyptians in Egypt and ten at the sea I vote five four but such an interpretation is difficult for the verse reads. Me Mitzrayim from Egypt and not from Min Hayam from the sea. To understand why Perush Habrokayak understands this verse to allude to the plagues at the sea 
rather than to those in Egypt as the simple meaning of the verse indicates. We must compare our verse with Deuteronomy 26, 8. There we are told, the Yotzienu, spelled with the Yud, Hashem Mimitzrayim, Hashem took us out of Egypt, which the sages means to explain, and not by the hands of an angel. See Frey, cited in the Haggadah. Yet our verse reads, the Yishlach, Malach, the Yotzienu Mimitzrayim. He sent an angel and took us out of Egypt which seems to contradict the sages. To resolve this contradiction, Perush HaRokeach explains our verse as referring to the plagues of the sea. And that is why Baha Torm substitutes Misham from there for Mimitzrayim, from Egypt. If this analysis is correct, the term Mimitzrayim of our verse does not refer to the land of Egypt, rather refers to the Egyptians. For the Torah refers to both the land and its people as Mitzrayim. Alternatively, Mimitzrayim may be interpreted as if it were two words, Mimitzar Yam, from the border of the sea. The the uh, permutation or the breakup of the name Mitzrayim. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, what? But I love what the fact. What verse is I he love, commenting on? Uh, six twenty sixteen, okay. and he took us out, and then it's the footnote sixty eight. But I love the fact how like. Torah says angel, say just say Hashem. Right. And so it's like, which that's, one is it? Yes. Like, that's great. It's not. A, it's not a contradiction. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. And then, so then the whole exchange. So in this context of, of can we pass through? We will not hear on the key of Rosh, I wish I would not veer right or left. And then Edom says, you should not pass through me unless to come and get you with the sword. It says, in the context of Psalms, King David speaks of the belligerence of Greece and Arabia, who interprets, who interpret his overtures of peace as signs of weakness. The Midrash, however, interprets the verse and the one that precedes it as referring to Edom slash Aesop. So the verse in Tehlim says, long has my soul dwelt with those who hate peace. I am peace, but when I speak, they threaten war. Psalms 126-7. Is there a person who hates peace? Yes. Asaph hates peace. And so it is written, I will provide peace in the land. And when will that be? When I cause the wildness of beasts to cease from the land. Leviticus 26-6. For the term wildness of beasts refers to none. But Aesop, Midrash Shokatov. And what was that one? Uh, footnote 73 to, to verse 18, 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 18. Baha uh, Footnote what again? 73. This is another Midrash interprets the verse, I am peace as God's explanation of why Edom refused Israel's request and threatened to go to war to prevent Israel from passing through its land. It is not merely their will to keep you out, rather it is my will that you shall that you will not pass through their land. Thus I told Moses to command you regarding Edom, you shall not provoke them, for I shall not give you their land even the right to set foot. Thus the verse in Psalms means, I, Hashem, am peace. 
i.e. I do not want to encroach on their territory even one step. And because I speak thus, they threaten war. For they know that you will not violate my will. <laughs> so because they know that Hashem said, like, hey, you're not going to step on the land, they're like, well, that's why we can, we're going to say we can Yeah, go we can go do it, yeah. Which is funny because that shows that another layer of not trusting in Hashem. Like, if you already hate Hashem, like, you're not even going to trust His word. Because if, if you know that this group of people that's first of all they com- they're coming to you in peace which means they're coming to eat them in the name of Hashem and they're going to follow the will of Hashem Edom's like well no I don't receive Hashem I don't receive his word I don't receive the peace and I also don't even think that you're probably going to stick to it which just means that they were ready to attack them anyway because yeah. they were going to have to defend themselves if it came down to it yeah So, Dot Zekanin, Shemot 20, verse 8. It says, uh, As far as speak to the rock, instructions here from Moshe and Aaron to address the rock by word of mouth is concerned. They were meant to speak to the people near the rock in order to watch the miracle about to be performed. On the first occasion, Moshe took elders with him, but the people stayed far behind and they didn't witness the striking of the rock. Those elders had long died. Wow, that's the first Sanhedrin that died during the fire plague. Okay, they long ago died so that the past or so that the present generation had not even been told what they witnessed back in Shemot 17.5 the water at that time formed into a small river that was where the Israelites filled their buckets from Moshe and Aharon instead of announcing the miracle about to take place addressed the people by calling them rebellious and asking if they really expected that they were worthy of God performing such a miracle for them. <laughs> so this whole thing about only a wicked generation asks for a son. Yeah, exactly. So it says that uh, they should have known that it was not in Moshe's or Aharon's power to get water out of a stone. So what was the point of accusing them of the shortage of water? Therefore, they should have prayed to God in a deferential manner, asking him to help them in their predicament. If Moshe and Aharon had explained all of this to them without displaying anger with a thirsty people, the result would have been a great sanctification of Hashem's name. According to the plain meaning of we are going to says Moshe and Aharon's sin consisted of using the word produce water for you instead of saying God is going to produce water for you in other words they said so we're going to produce water for you you bunch of rebels and it's like okay you're out 
Which is interesting because that's why Yeshua says, apart from my father, I have no no power, no ability. And at his death, when water came forth from the rock, it was blood and water, which was like the striking of the rock in Parashat Hukat, where the first strike was blood, the second strike was water. So you have this whole public spectacle and a whole tacoon going on there for uh, the Redeemer himself saying, well, yeah, we're going to produce this for you. Which is just a whole other point to us that to say that it's only Yeshua and nothing else, you know, it's kind of like it's Hashem. Which hints the serpent on the pole is pretty close to this account to where the people are having to look to Hashem for the healing, even though they're going to look up at the serpent on the pole. Right. That's why I was telling Juan this week. I was like, you know, actually, I said, not everybody that looked at the serpent got healed. I said, only the people that looked at the serpent and were like repenting for trusting in Hashem got healed. Because if, if, if you looked at the serpent and didn't think about Hashem, then what's the point? You know? Because then you're just looking at a serpent. Yeah, so like looking at Mashiach's body on a crucifixion stick. Yeah, then you missed the whole point. Wow. Side note, like. <laughs> oh, well now we're gonna do a side note. Yeah, because I'm trying. I'm listening to you, but I'm trying. I'm trying to piece together with what Baha Torah saying right here because. Because he says, the children of Israel said to him, to Edom, we shall go up on the highway, and if we drink your waters, or I, or my flock, I shall give their price. Mm. Only nothing will happen, let me pass through on foot. Mm. So, Baha Torm's commenting on 2019. He says, their price. The Mesoretic note means that this word appears three times in the Tanakh. And if we drink your waters, we shall give their price here. And then I warned them on the day of their selling game that they had trapped, Nehemiah 13, 15, and for their selling a righteous man for money. What? Most two six. Selling a righteous man for money? Similarity of expression alludes to the consequence of the sale of Joseph by his brothers because they sold a righteous man, Joseph, for money. And on the day of their selling, they entrapped their father with their mouth by saying, the savage beast devoured him. As a consequence, God said, I shall give them their price. And they had to pay money to drink water. Footnote says, Baha Term's intention here is not clear, for there seems to be no connection between the incidents. Moreover, the Israelites did not actually pay out any money for Edom to use their passage. Atroth's Adar suggests that it was the sale of Joseph that led to the Israelites moving to Egypt and becoming enslaved there. Had that save, had that sale not taken place, they would have never left Canaan and would not have had to offer to pay for their water now. Alternatively, before the Israelites would be allowed to return to Canaan, they would have to exhibit their willingness to divest themselves from any financial benefit accrued to them as a result of having sold Joseph. 
They would have accomplished this by spending those ill-gotten gains on drinking water. So, just trying to understand that, like, what's the connection between them having to pay for water and Joseph? <laughs> wow. Side note, Bombing Bar Rabbi 1922 says they're called fiery serpents because the serpents burn the victim's soul with their venom. Like the way that the fire consumed the soul of Nadab and Abihu. But back to the king road. Is that before? It says I shall on the give King's their road. price. It's after. It's just, I shall give their price. Only nothing will happen. Let me pass through on foot. Oh. And then he makes it. He makes it. He like he just jumps to Joseph. Like I, I, I was just trying to see like why he did so. And what verse is that? Uh, nineteen. Uh, same chapter twenty. Okay, is that so can even don't say nothing on that. 2019 They even offered to pay for water drunk from the rivers Peace Kuni says And Zohar Mikates says that anytime you see the word river it's always connected to Yosef Oh well, yeah. back here it said earlier that the that the that it wasn't really talking about the rock; it was talking about a river. Hold on, let's see if I can find that. Oh snap! Yeah, I should have read that earlier. But yeah, it said. River refers to the rock. Then you got river referring to Joseph. Yeah, so there's that. brings down Moshe tried to calm the fears of the Edomites as best he could Eben Ezra writes that the expression Derek Hamelech the highway of the king refers to the route taken by the king himself and that just as the king does not veer to the right or to the left neither would the Jewish people alternatively Moshe meant that whatever route the king would assign to them they would be willing to abide by. So even if Edom was given the opportunity, which they were, to 
dictate how we could pass through their land. They didn't even want to do that. There it is. It says the people quarreled. They mm-hmm. Yarev. It says the people quarreled. Uh, and he fought them in the river valley. So they're quoting this word appears twice in the Tanakh. It says, so once here and then the second time in 1 Samuel 15, 5. The similarity of expressions indicates that the people quarreled with, Mo- with Moses regarding the river, i.e. the well that flowed from a rock like a river. Hmm. So rivers of living water will flow from you? Yeshua says, come to me, you who thirst. Which is, which is funny because this world quarreled is the word for, for you can change the grounds with, to their rabbi, like rabbi. Really? It's the word, it's the same word. Rabbi. Reef. Wow. Vav, yud, resh, bates. Talking about passing through on foot. Says clearly the word Bayragli means with my troops. So let us pass by on foot. Let us pass through with our troops. Which is why the term foot soldier is kind of a thing, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Says this expression at this point also enables us to understand the meaning of Zechariah 14.4. Which says his legs stood on the Mount of Olives. The word Regalav is a simile for his host. All those like Ankylos who are careful not to translate anthropomorphic expressions literally will interpret the word in this vein. You might counter that there is no comparison as the armies of mortals march literally on their feet. Something not applicable to God's armies. The fact is that when we speak of celestial phenomena, we apply the term feet to the lowest part of the manifestation. (laughs) The feet is the lowest part of the celestial manifestation. Okay. So until I make the earth your footstool. So what does that mean about Yaakov? Because it's derived from Ekev. The lowest part of the manifestation of celestial beings, which is why Yaakov was able to wrestle with the angel. Yeah, I know, ridiculous. The feet is the lowest part of the manifestation. The word rosh, which is head, is attributed to the highest part of such a manifestation. The word does not have to be understood literally as we do here in our terrestrial fears, spheres. Seeing that the creator is always the highest form of celestial manifestations. Seeing that the creator is always the highest form of celestial manifestations. So the creator manifests. 
Okay, Hashem manifests. Okay. It is clear that all manifestations of a lower level are automatically described as feet. As compared to the Rosh, i.e. God himself, they are like feet. Alternatively, we can understand the word Reglav, his feet, in Zechariah to refer to the results of God's planning. Something described as Sevotav, which is like surroundings. For instance, the words which Yaakov said to Levon in Bereshit 30.30, do not mean the Lord blessed you at my feet, but the Lord blessed you on my account. I have already dealt with this whole problem in Bereshit 6.6 with the words... I don't know what that translates to, but whatever is the phrase in Bereshit 6.6. Wow. The feet is the lowest part, the lowest manifestation. Thank yeah, there's this whole thing about like, like uh, you can't you can't wash off the the tumah from your feet right now because there's not a temple. So the lowest manifestation right now is what's being rectified. Right. Wow. It's covered in dust. It's covered in impurity because it's sitting at the gates of Rome. This is interesting. It says, Tosfota Sukkah 3.3. The waters of the well would flow would flow through the Israelite camp. It would form into streams and rivers that would flow into the Mediterranean Sea. So the water from the rock is a part of the oceans. Probably why I went to the Galilee. <laughs> yeah. So the refusal of the Edomites was not entirely their own decision. I was brought down in Bami Bar Rabad 1917. As it is, I who want you to be denied passage God did not uh, want them to be allowed to pass through the land of Eden and therefore caused the Edomites to refuse their request the ATLC what you got nah just that's pretty cool like because Edom said no like a chimp said no I mean that's how they understood it for it is stated that God told the Israelites with regard to the Edomites you shall not provoke them for I shall not yeah. give you their land, yes. even the right to, to set, set foot. foot yeah. Devouring 2 5. I just read that. Yeah. And therefore, when the Edomites refused their request, the Israelites departed without a battle. As it is stated, so Edom refused to permit Israel to pass through his border, and Israel turned away from near him. Which is interesting because. That's Tanakuma 13, and what you're reading. I guess that's the Rabbah. Yeah. Yeah. It's also in time. Which is the whole thing why it's the, the prophecy in the time to come where we'll go to war with Edom. That's from the Obadiah passage. 
that Mashiach King will ascend Mount Edom or Mount Seir. That it ain't time right now. They did not attempt to confront the Edomites in battle because they had been prohibited from doing so. It was God's wish that they were not allowed to pass through. To ensure that they did not gain passage through Edom, God prohibited them from setting foot there without permission and caused the Edomites not to grant them permission to do so. This is interesting. 1916. It says, this is the same concept concerning which scripture states, Eliezer, son of Dodava of Maresha, prophesied about Jehoshaphat, saying, because you allied yourself with Ahaziah, Hashem has wrecked your undertakings. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 37. This is talking about drawing an inference from Scripture's juxtaposition of Israel's unsuccessful attempt to gain passage through the land of Edom is juxtaposed with Aharon's passing. It says here too, because the Israelites associated themselves with the wicked Esau by attempting to pass through his land, they lost that righteous Aharon. Because yeah. he was a pursuer of peace. And Asaph hates hate peace. peace. Be like sons of Aaron, pursuers of peace. So now nah, we're going go to we're gonna go to we're gonna know, go we're gonna go to war because uh, wow, you know, because that's what would it would have went down if yeah. they went, it went through there. Yeah, everybody keeps commenting over here, like Sephorno, he's Kuni, they're talking about if the people would have come in contact with the inhabitants there, it might be concerned about possible friction. But it was their intention to cross the land in areas that were totally uninhibited so that there would not be a question of possible friction and war. So in other words, the fact that they went into the land would be instigating war yeah. if they came in contact That's with anybody. Right. So a footnote on that says God had not told the Israelites to attempt passage through the land of Edom. On the contrary, he informed them that they would be refused. Yet they persisted and sent emissaries. So now you got the sin of the spies. Kills Aharon. So they persisted and sent emissaries in attempt to win over the Edomites. Therefore, they lost the righteous Aaron at this time. Although God stated explicitly Aharon was to die for his part at the incident of the waters of strife, it was the Israelites' association with Edom that caused him to be taken from them at this early point in time. Instead of having him live until they were ready to enter the land of Israel, as Moshe did. Say that again? <laughs> So it was the Israelites' association with Edom that caused Aharon to be taken from them at this early point in time 
instead of having him live until they were ready to enter the land of Israel as Moshe did. So now you have Azadik so who dies before his time. Right, and you also have the picture of Ben Yosef and Ben David. Because why is why is he dying? Because the the children of Israel want to act like Edom, like because that's what happened with with, with Yeshua. They acted because they jealousy said Caesar and hate and hatred. And oh, that whole that whole acronym of Kina is actually all those right. The, the, yeah, the Korag, the the I forget the other, I forget I forget the acronym right now. But. I think Nabal. The one who ate oh, the king no, David. Oh no, no, uh, the uh, it's jealousy. Are oh, you talking about the attributes? Yeah, the je- it was it was jealousy, you know, hatred, and something else. Like, because that's basis hatred, right? Yeah. Um, man, I'm to think of what that word was. I has I think it has to do with the 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 baker. Baker from Yosef, the story of Yosef. I may be wrong, but I forget where that came from. Uh, for some reason, I'm blanking on the word. Kina, Sina, Kos, um, Acronym. Either way, but they were emulating Asaph. That's what the that's what the brothers did when they sold Joseph. That's what they're doing here now. That's why Aaron dies, and then that's what they did with Yeshua. Wow. Yeah. Sourceless at the moment, but I remember seeing that somewhere, but I don't remember what it is. It was a word, and I can't remember what it was either. And it was like this stands for. Uh, Jealousy, hatred, and something else. Like mur- I think murder, maybe. I don't know. Or bloodshed. I can't get the point back where it was. Side note, because I've been thinking about like Moses dying in Adar, but he was also born in Adar. Right. So like, why did why did Haman think that it was okay to to do try to kill the Jews in Adar if it was the same month that the Redeemer was born? Not only that he died in, you know what I'm saying? Because the non-Jews focus on death and not life. So to them, it's a big deal when someone dies, supposedly when someone's born, which is the whole thing with destroying the temple in the month of Av. Because that's the birth of the Mashiach. The temple was destroyed. Aaron died in Av. That's what it says here. Oh. The birth of Mashiach was the death of Aharon.
You do? Hey, don't you think it's a little bit ironic when you say duck, even though their feathers are made of down? Uh, Get down. Get down. Duck. (laughs) That's so funny. Okay. I am irony, man. Okay, what is this? This is. What are you reading? You the people about? became exasperated. Right? Says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the nation arrived at the border of Edom, the people grew impatient. They spoke against God and against Moshe consequently. He grew impatient regarding the sinfulness of Israel. Uh oh. For they had sinned and he became impatient to death, for Aaron died at the border of Edom. Similarly, the verse, I became impatient with them, begins, I re- I removed three shepherds in one month, which the sages explain as referring to Aaron. Miriam and Moses for for the three of them died in the course of one month. Okay, so then it breaks it down. The Talmud explains that actually Miriam died in, in Nisan, Aaron died in Av, and Moses in, in Adar. Eleven months after his sister, however, three excellent gifts were bestowed upon Israel in the marriage of those three leaders, but only while they were alive. Thus, the well was provided in the, in the marriage of Miriam, the pillar of cloud in the marriage of Aaron, the manna in the marriage of Moshe. When Miriam died, the well disappeared. Nevertheless, it returned in the marriage of the other two, Moses and Aaron. When Aaron died, the clouds of glory disappeared, and the king of Arad heard that the projected clouds of glory had disappeared, so he attacked Israel. Yet both the well and the clouds returned in the marriage of Moshe. When Moses died, all three gifts disappeared. Thus, the verse in Zechariah means that the gifts bestowed Due to the marriage of their of these three leaders, leaders all ended in the same month, the month in which Moses died. Tanaeit nine eight. Now we may ask, why does the verse state that the three gifts were removed in one month? If they all disappeared with Moses' death, then the verse should have said in one day. Although the Torah forbade the people to save manna from one day to the next. The Talmud in Kiddushin 38a proves that the manna f- that fell on the last day of Moses' life nourished the nation for 39 days. Presumably, the well's water, which, were not, which they were not enjoined from saving from one day to the next, also, also lasted for a period of time. Accordingly, the nation would have felt the disappearance of the clouds on the day of Moses' Moses's death but they would not feel the loss of the manna and the well until some time later. 
when they would realize that their depleting supplies were not being replenished and would soon give out. When this realization hit them, they fully they felt fully the loss of three gifts and the three leaders in whose merit they had been bestowed upon. All this in the course of one month. But the manna lasted 39 days on the last day of his death? That's ridiculous. Okay. So they would have experienced a 40 days of fasting type thing. Even though they would have had food, but... Yeah, like this, or, or lashes, almost seems like, or something, like 39 lashes. This also explains the order used by the Baha Torm at the end of his comment, an order that does not follow the order of their birth or of their passing, both of which Miriam, Aharon, and Moses. The absence of the cloud at the death of Aaron was immediate, thus Aaron's death was felt first. Presumably, the well's water gave out before the manna, and so Miriam's death was felt second. Finally, the full impact of the loss came when the people realized the impact of Moses passing passing as the stores of manna began to dwindle. interesting too because the 40 days of uh, Shavuot the counting counting of the Omer yeah because then he then he sent on the 40th day yep and he says I'm he said your, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert and died but I'm the, I'm the manna from heaven yeah you know organs and limbs yeah. that word in Hebrew is not even act, the, for, in English as a, as a lack of precise of what it actually is so that's why we always say organs and limbs okay 
that's from the Michigan. Oh, hello, 1A. Just grab mine. I think yeah, mine's still on the mine's still on the counter right there. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, you can, oh, okay. yeah, you can go. Yeah, thanks. Okay. That's what I was saying. Oh, thank you. Moshe and Eliezer descended from the mountain, the entire assembly gathered around them and they asked, where is Aaron? They replied to him, he died. The people said, how is it possible for the angel of death to strike him dead? Why, Aaron is the person who confronted the angel of death in the Unleashed the Kraken episode. It says, uh, as it is written, he stood between the dead and the living. Surely then he can defend himself against the angel of death. Therefore, if you bring Aharon back to us, then fine. But if not, we will stone both of you. Stone cold. The Israelites suspected that Moshe and, Ahur, or Moshe and Eliezer killed Aharon. Side note, angel of death couldn't kill Aharon, but apparently Moshe and Eliezer could. Wait, what? <laughs> the reasoning of that. Oh, 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 yeah. Like, so we know the angel of death didn't kill him, but y'all could. <laughs> That's why they figured out the suspicion. That's crazy. Although they refused to believe the angel of death could have power over our own, they did believe that human beings could kill him. <laughs> <laughs> by virtue of their power of free will. Accordingly, they demanded that they produce Aaron's body so that they could ascertain for themselves whether he had died or been killed. What's going on, man? Need some shalom, homeboy. No? I, I don't 
Kuma 19. Go sleep, Mikva. Oh, Mazel's a Mikva. We just learned about inducing labor can throw off someone's Mazel Yes. That was cool. She told me about that. But then, all, but then it's like the same thing. Like, but it's still the same time, it's like still under her shims. Like, yeah, so like it just divine. changed. Yeah, whatever his You kind of wonder, is. though, like your due date, and then if you were to induce or whatever, like, does that change the tour portion, which was, I guess, the chef's plan anyway, but, you know, you're kind of like... Mm-hmm. Well, that's why, that's why I was telling her, like, like... Free will. There's two times that affect a person's soul. The first time at the stage of conception, like, time of day, what day, what time yeah, of the month, makes sense. Uh, see, uh, yeah. year, and then when they're born. There you go. So it's kind of interesting. She, it's like reading a drosh. She, like, that says book? Yeah. I was yeah, like, I gotta get that, this. That book is crazy. That's some craziness. This book is. Uh, it's, it's called... Uh, Hand in Hand with Hashem. Yeah. Practical Advice and Spiritual Guidance for Giving Birth with Serenity. Yeah. That book is ridiculous. Like... But she... Her sources are ridiculous. Yeah. She's like, all say, the Talmud's the Shabbat, beer color, the Kedusha yeah. of childbirth... Um, well, because because it says that the woman doesn't go into a state of nida until until after she gives birth, right. and the reason why exactly. is because is because of the way you say you, uh, when a, when a woman's in labor, there's a there's a Hebrew word for it, and it's leida or something like that. Oh yeah, well leida is labor, and that actually means with Hashem. Yeah, that's what it means. So while you're with Hashem, you can't have tuma. <laughs> And so it's not till after that. That's as soon like she talks about like uh, the shekinah like depart the the, uh, the shekinah being on the woman when she's given labor, and then like after after the the child is born, it's kind of like the shekinah has done its job, and then like bam, it's like now now there's now there's two more. Like, yeah. Which Does is, they have mikdash inside you? Yeah, it's that that book's ridiculous. But she's a doula and a. Birth coach. Not to mention just a mom and a shomer lady. Nakama? 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 Nakama Epstein. Yeah, Nakama. She's here in the States. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's, from, that's a Feldheim book. Yeah, the book that I'm reading right now is Hannah Wiseman, and she's in Jerusalem. Yeah, Teresa's like, she, I'm like, what you reading? She's like, Oh, oh, oh nothing. Oh nothing. And I'm devouring the other one. I'm almost yeah. done with that. I'm like, that's the perfect next one. So Tankuma 19 cited by Rashi. 
the serpent in Garden of Eden had spoken against God's words in order to convince Eve to rebel against God's command regarding that which he had forbidden Adam and his wife to eat. And now the people complained against the food that God gave them in the wilderness. Wow. So like I tell you not to eat this food, and then I give it to you, and you still gonna talk about the food? Like, <laughs> wow. Side note, it also says that uh, it wasn't just serpents, it was dogs and wild beasts. Correct. So depending on what they were bidding from, the serpent healed all of it. did hear an interesting um, explanation of why like striking the rock versus speaking to the rock which is interesting when you think about the because well, the, this happens in the the 40th year like like while they're getting out of the wilderness mm-hmm. this guy was saying that it was like a little, it was a short clip, and I don't know who the rabbi was. Reverend Pearson said it to me, but the guy was saying that that the reason why he had to strike the rock before when they came out of Egypt was because they were slaves in Egypt, and all they understood was like like brute force kind of thing. <laughs> and wow, they only knew hitting. Yeah, they're like little children. And so he said, but at the end of the forty years, when Moses when Moshe has to speak to the rock. He says that uh, the reason he was supposed to speak to the rock is because he was he was now teaching a generation that had, didn't know anything about the slavery in Egypt. So that's why he was supposed to speak to the rock because they don't they don't know nothing about slavery, they don't know about you know all that kind of stuff. Wow! But you th- and you think about it now, even today, like like they say they say it's like not not to not not, not to not meet kids, but like better not to like speak to them right right and that how it has to do with like uh, I don't know just just the whole thing about like the children of Israel about to enter into the land kind of like we're at the end of this exile about to enter into the land right I don't know just thought that was interesting like, well, I need to find this drop in Tehillim, but that would make sense why when the children went to war with the nations after they crossed over the Jordan, that it wasn't, they didn't put their trust in the weapons, they put their trust in Hashem. Mm. And so the battlefield, even though there were swords and battle axes yeah. and stuff. Singing and prayer going But it, on. it was singing and prayer. Yeah. So they were speaking, basically to do their battles. Well, yeah, then, like, the first thing they did was circle Jericho, singing the Elena. Yep. <laughs> yep.
Pesufa. So, um, Bami Barbara by 1920 says, When Aharon died, the, the clouds of glory departed. And so the king uh, wanted to go into confrontation. Who's this guy? Oh, Amalekite, who is, okay, the king of Arid, which says, although the verse identifies him as a Canaanite, this cannot be taken literally. And it says, Thus Arid, which our verse states, was on the south, was the territory of Amalek, and not the territory of the Canaanites who dwell by the sea, by the Yardin. So he would sit and wait for a breach to occur in Israel's defenses so that he could attack it. As soon as he heard that Aharon had died, and the clouds of glory had departed, he immediately investigated a confrontation with the Israelites. Mm -hmm. It says, when the verse states that the king of Arad heard that Israel had come by the way of the guides, it says it refers to the great guide that would explore and prepare the road ahead for the Israelites to travel upon. I go and prepare a place for you. Oh, the guide. Yeah, the great guide. It says, well, which is the cloud? It says, this refers to the ark. As it is stated, and the ark of the covenant would, uh, the ark of the covenant of Hashem journeyed before them. And it says, a three day distance to prepare or to explore. For them a resting place. Bami Bar ten thirty-three. Upon hearing that they would they no longer had the clouds to follow, but only the ark, he warred against Israel. Says the word for That's guides. Yeah, the word for guides and the word for explore are from the same root. The midrash infers from the similar wording that the guides of our verse refer to the ark. The guides plural is the singular which is the ark and then it says the verse refers to the ark and the plural as guides owing to its great significance so they say it's plural because because it's the ark yeah so Elohim Shemichad because he has all those names. That's right. He does that. Go ahead. Let those it go. names were ridiculous. Let it go. Let it go. Ridiculous. Like Amet is the name of Hashem, by the way. Correct. <laughs> so is Shomo. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Uh...
So this is cool. So in the Hebrew it says, that's funny. Hashem et vahev besufa. He has given with tempest-like speed. So it's commenting on the word besufa. So the word sufa, tempest, is often used in scripture as a metaphor for something done suddenly or with great speed like the winds of a tempest. Mm. Says suddenly, that's what Rashi, has how Rashi interprets it, or swiftly, Ibn Ezra, that's how they interpret this word. The text follows the Pirush, no, oh, hold on, where'd it go? Pirush and Rookie, I can't. Oh, here, no. Where'd it go? Here it goes. Targum Onkelos. My bad. Oh. Oh. Says. Besufa. Targum Onkelos says, Besufa is. Oh, it refers to the Israelites' mentioning of the miracles of the Yam Su. See, it reads. Is indicated by the verse from Nahum Hashem. Besufa, Hashem at the sea of reeds. So that passage continues. He roars at the sea and makes it dry. Here too, Besufa refers to the, the sea of reeds. It is saying, therefore, it is said in the book of words of Hashem, He has given with tempest like speed, and the rivers of Arnon, the outpouring of rivers, when it feared to dwell at Ar, leaned against the border of Moab. And from there to the well, it is. The well of which Hashem said to Moses, assemble the people and I shall give them water. Then it goes into the song of the well. But that word just sounds cool, the Sufa. The Sufa. Come and sit down on the Besufa. <gasps> That's where we get sofa. because that's actually what it looks like how to pronounce it <laughs> in the Hebrew. <laughs> Sofa. Hmm. Alright. I don't even know. I'm looking for that drop about the singing on the battlefield. Came across Psalm 139. It says, Lamnesiak le David Mismor. It says, For the conductor by David, a song Rabbi Yehuda, who quotes Midrash Shoker Tov, states that the main ideas of this psalm were articulated by Adam. Later, David expressed Adam's teaching and the beautiful words of this composition. The Chazazion observed that the title, Me Nazayak, which is conductor or director, is most appropriate for Adam himself yeah. because he created or because he was created to, to guide be, yep. all segments of creation yep. and to orchestrate them into a harmonious blend. Come on. Man. Had he not sinned, he would indeed have exercised mastery over the entire world. So that's why the power of the prince of the air is such a thing from Ephesians chapter 2. The sons of disobedience. Mm. 
He's orchestrating the entire world. Well, yeah, because uh, once you allow sin, it's that whole concept of like, like who, like how Hasatan gets his power. Like he got his power because you sinned, and the divine light you were supposed to get, he got. Mm-hmm. So now that's why he's controlling the orchestra, not you. Or not necessarily controlling the orchestra, but in the place of the conductor. Totally, keep usurping the, the the conductor or block or blocking the conductor from doing his job. Or the conductor's not doing his job. That too, which is the same thing. So it says, Adam perceived the innermost character of every living thing. And in giving it his name, giving it its name, he designated its role in the world. That's one of the reasons why I believe Lapid can take that power back. Because every tongue, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation is meant to be a harmonious blend. I was thinking about that today while Rabbi was talking before we uh, transition to the Torah. Key. Yeah. Yeah, look at you go. Unlock it, man. The key master. That, um, you know, instead of this whole divisive hatred uh, thing that's going out with racism, that the opposite is actually true. That there should be bragging rights for each uh, culture. Because if you think about the way that a uh, the way that Sukkot did it, where it was a seven day celebration for everything, like you know, I'm just imagining like you know all the different nations coming forth and you know blessing Hashem with how He created them. Yeah, like the tribes. Like that'd the, be the, so. The, the the offering of the princes. Yeah, like that'd be so legit. But instead, here we are, just groveling. Because that was the thing with Belam that uh, brought forth the Mato Vu. He realized that, um, yeah, you can actually use all your desires, all the things that you're really drawn towards, they can be actually expressed through holiness. And so his whole thing was like, there's no way you can limit your your uh, your drives. Like if you if you want all sorts of pleasures, if you have all sorts of cravings, like just do it. But yet when he saw the Jewish people, they they still were able to go after their pleasures, still able to quench their cravings. But through holiness, he was just like, this is something whole like this is a whole nother level. And so. At that point, he was actually moved to say the Mato Vu on his own uh, unction. But the previous two times, he was just trying to curse us. But that's one of, that's one of the, the, the proof texts that uh, that, that a, a Jew and a non-Jew don't go to the same place after they die. Because he says, I want my end to be like their end. Wow. 
the the whole one of one of the ideas behind that that basically, basically like those who are in covenant like get to go to the Lama Bar and the people who are not don't. It's because it's because Bilam says whenever he's, he's he goes to curse him but he's blessing him. And he, he basically says like uh, that he wants he wants his in. I want to be where they where they are. You know like. Because he, he's prophetically saying, like, where, where are they going to end up in history? Like, right? The star will shoot forth from Yaakov. Uh, they might end be like they're in. Yeah, obviously we're talking about Belen, so. <laughs> Don't be like Belen. <laughs> Just went to town highlighting everything up in here. Wow. When the Israelites came to the border of Moab, they saw the miracles performed for them, and they relied on the Shem, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. That's what it means when it says, and they and leaned against the border of Moab. The place where we trust in the show. Which really was, which is interesting because Moab is from the from father. father. So you trust that everything's from, from the father. <laughs> Ain't no Milvado. Oh my goodness, this is it. Blessed be the name of Hashem. Amen. 149.6 The lofty praises of God are in their throats. When the righteous legions of Israel go out to battle, they do not place their confidence in weapons but in prayers, which are more effective than a double-edged sword. This applies especially to the future cataclysmic war of Gog and Magog, after which the exile of Israel will end. Tehillim 149.6 Yeah, the comment. Moreover, the devout would triumph over their enemies without physical exertion, which is they will sing joyously upon their beds and God will fight for them. Sounds like that's Kiyah. What do you mean? He went, but then he like go to sleep and then... Oh, he leaned the, against the wall. Yeah. Like a Taknoon. Put his head down. It says double-edged sword in their hand. This is a particularly lethal weapon. Literally, it is the plural of mouth. The word for double-edged sword is the plural form of mouth. 
pay. And it says, figuratively, this refers to the Torah, which consists of the Torah Sheb Ketav and the Torah Sheba Al Pei, which was meant to be transmitted only orally. The devout use their mouths in two ways to study the Torah, by reading from the text and by reciting by heart. This double effort protects them from all dangers and enemies. Pasikta and the Mikdash Mayat. That's ridiculous. To execute vengeance of, among the nations, the divine praises sung by the devout will invest them with tremendous power. The divine praises sung by the devout will invest them with tremendous power. They will use this power to execute vengeance against the nations that attacked and threatened them. Well, how about that for reciting Brocco? Power is in our mouth. I pray that three weeks brings that out of us. Time for us to take over the world with a double-edged sword. So the whole thing where before the nation of physical and blood is destroyed, their angel has to be destroyed. Yeah. This is why we have to become Israel so that we can contend with angels. It says you strive with angels and men. So if we become if we become Israel, even in exile, we can actually take down the angel of this exile, and then. Yeah, from there, the physical destruction will be. Maybe that's why they say that that's who he wrestled with, the angel of Edom. Um, yeah. And according to the big man, the incredible Talmud, the fight uh, is hinged upon the covenant, which is the place where the angel struck Yaakov.
Brick Shim. That's what I was looking for. And we got it. Shot pinkies. See what you got, home boy. The opening blurb from Rabbi Ridiculously Top says, A husband and his wife are fighting. The wife yells, the only reason you married me was because my great uncle left me a hundred million dollars. He turns away and calmly replies, don't be ridiculous. I don't care who left it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's got jokes. That's all. Awesome. Side note, all those videos that you totally put on Moggin, I mean, we got the book of it now. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I know. That's why when you did that, I was like... The mnemonics from uh, Rabbi Ruskin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On Chabad, he does a video for, for each Torah portion, mm -hmm. how many verses are in there, and then he uh, gives a drosh on, like, what that's all about. Yeah, and it's ridiculous. So... This is the book form. Right? That's why. That's why he's Rabbi Ridiculous. Yeah. One of the grandchildren of Menashe is called Portion. Four festivals. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. 
Didn't expect nothing less. <laughs> Did you just say that's ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs>